Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking the finale of Survivor 41, episode 13, One Thing Left to Do, Win. And we have our first Canadian winner. We have our first Filipino winner. We have our first female winner since She Who Must Not Be Named. <laughs> we have our first female winner to beat two men in the final three since Sophie Clark. Evan, high-level thoughts on the finale. Mm, I don't know if I have... I don't know. I don't know. It's tough because there's so much to get through, and there would constantly be like something that I loved, something that made me cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, on the whole, it was... There are two ways you can go with a finale, right? Like one could argue that too much happened in this episode to pack it into these. Was it two and a half? I couldn't really tell what, like when the reunion began. Yeah, it felt I like it, wasn't keeping happened, track. Happened, or, or sorry, we're not saying reunion. We're saying after show. But <laughs> but anyway, so the episode was somewhere around two hours or two and a half hours, and they certainly packed so much in, as is often the case with a Survivor finale. And in some moments, I was like to the detriment of the fact of it felt like there was too much going on. But the other mind to be about that is it's like how exciting that there's so much going on that like at every sort of interval of the episode, there's some new aspect happening. Someone's getting a vote. Someone's getting voted out. Someone's admitting that they backs up so-and-so. So I thought that in the pantheon of Survivor finales, I thought it was a better finale. Um, but we'll get into it. There are certainly aspects to sort of push back against. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I never really love finales. I just find there's yeah. like way too much content and it's really hard to distill down into like, oh, this is how I feel about it because we have, you know, so many tribals to get through, so much strategy all packed in. I feel like we miss things, really important things. And I understand why we do it. I mean, we can't have like a week for each of these uh, eliminations. But, you know, finales are never the high point of my survivor viewing experience. I think we get our best episodes sort of like just post-merge. Uh, so, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, I had a unique experience, as some may have seen, that I was able to come to Chicago and watch the finale with uh, most of the cast, not the winner, uh, Erica, who had a finale party in Toronto, which Heather attended, which mm, uh, really blew my mind. Heather went and got her PCR test and flew to Toronto. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the girls were eating steak and uh, <laughs> and they were on stage in Toronto. So good they for them. They were a little tipsy but, at uh, Tribal. Yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, was able to meet a lot of the cast and, you know, I, they were wonderful. Wonderful. I guess can, high level. Uh, what did Tiffany smell like? Tiffany, <laughs> Tiffany smelled nice. She smelled like a shower gel, mm. a nice shower gel. Lovely. Uh, Tiffany's incredible. We, I, t- I swear to God, I spent three hours talking exclusively to Tiffany yesterday. Uh, we are best friends now. So hi, bestie. If yeah, you're listening, that was lovely. She doesn't listen to podcasts. She didn't oh, really wow. know how to download a podcast. Uh, Makes me like her even more. But you know what I will say? Nasir's wife listens to our podcast. Didn't know that it was me, but she was like, "Oh, I, I listen to your podcast. It's one of my favorite Survivor podcasts." She's listened to every episode. She was like referencing the interviews and things that wow. people said. Uh, Nasir didn't know that Survivor podcasts exist, <laughs> but he's lovely. And then. I met JD and I said to JD, like, hey, I I didn't even introduce myself as being from a podcast or anything like that. I just said, hi, I'm Sean. And I said, you know, you were my winner pick. And he goes, yeah, I know. I heard. I listened. (laughs) Whoa. So I'm shocked that anybody's listening, let alone the cast that we're talking about. And now I'm like sitting here panicking, being like, what did I say about I was going to say, I have that same thought. I mean, like, I mean, we've openly talked or I'll speak on my, I mean, we've spoken poorly about Joe and a few other players from past seasons that I, I stand behind. But I just, if, if we misspoke about anyone this season who was friendly to us IRL or who is listening now, we regret it all. 
It yeah. never happened. <laughs> uh, also, I met, you know, Drop Your Buffs number one fan, Ricard, uh, who mm. is lovely, and his uh, dynamic duo partner, Shan. And that was simply iconic, though I was also petrified because Shan is intimidating. She's a she's a big personality and she's I get it. hugely tall. I was not expecting it. She's incredibly tall. And speaking of iconic, uh, Ricard's hair during that final tribal council, mm-hmm. um, as we speak of iconic things, I think. Yeah, uh, not, there was some not big to jump moments. ahead, but yeah, big, big, luscious locks. Yeah. Okay, enough about me. Let's get into the recap. Because we've got a lot to recap here. So the final five were sent to a new island to start fresh. This, I think, ultimately doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on the game. You know, as you predicted, I will hand that to you. Well, and not for nothing, had that rainstorm not happened, as you, as we observed, they were going to sleep on the beach. They were not even going to attempt to build a shelter, which just goes to show that, like, by moving the beach, it doesn't necessarily, like, throw things off kilter. They only, production, I guess you could say, got lucky in that there was this rainstorm, and, and production probably was so excited when that happened to be able to add, like, some element to say, hardest season ever. They had, they didn't have a shelter, and they're <laughs> outside, and there's rain in the jungle, and they've got Got pruny fingers um mm-hmm. but yeah it was like seeing them not even attempt to rebuild the shelter sort of underline the fact that like they don't need a shelter to survive here because it's easy yeah well you know what i do like i like that it offers this like unique setting for the end game to play out in and i said that i liked uh, that in season 39 I think last week I said that it's nice to have like a different environment. It gives the finale a different feel, but is it necessary? Maybe not. So they get tree mail, which introduces a puzzle, which requires the players to unscramble a phrase that will lead them to a final advantage in the game. And after much searching, Erica finds the advantage and it's an advantage in the immunity challenge coming up. Now, we can talk about this advantage. Let's let's say what it is. So we get to the immunity challenge and Erica reads out her advantage to Jeff. And basically Jeff reveals that she's going to have a sort of like, I don't know if it's a quarter of each leg sort of done for her in advance, but it's like at least a few rungs, right? So they have to like build a ladder and then they have to get some puzzle pieces up a, a sort of puzzle obstacle thing. And then they have to build a huge puzzle. So... Some of her rungs are already in place. She doesn't have to collect them. And some of her puzzle pieces are already moved up. For me, this is a huge advantage. Like a huge advantage. It reminds me of Natalie in Winners at War coming back from the edge with this like, you know, each leg of her of her challenge is done to the extent where like really nobody else can catch up. I look forward to seeing that episode i'm one episode away no it's fine it's fine don't cover your mouth it's fine no it's fine it's fine i'm literally for those listening no sean you're fine i have one episode of survivor (laughs) left to go but honestly iconic that it's we're still able to have spoilers i will miss the days of being spoiled yes i i absolutely agree with you i thought it was comical that they made a point to have part of the readout in in the parchment say a small advantage when Uh, both you and I right now and many people online were, you know, underscoring the fact that it was a huge advantage to have going into the challenge. So like so many things on this season, when they sort of feel the need to insert a detail, um, for instance, hardest season ever, it's almost like you can at this point predict that they're saying it because they're aware that it's the opposite. So it was one of those moments of, Huge, uh, tiny, tiny advantage. And then here we are all being like, not only is it not a tiny advantage, it is a huge advantage. It is so huge that one could easily argue, and this is not based off the edit, but this is something maybe we'll get into with you know some of the contestants, but I'm curious to know whether or not Ricard could have finished that puzzle had Erica not had that giant lead and had as anyone you know knows, if Ricard had won that challenge, gotten immunity, the entire game reshuffles. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that advantage, it could easily be argued along with, and we'll talk about this, but along with the um, turning back time, those those advantages completely fundamentally shifted the, the trajectory of the game. That said, that's part of the game, right? Things happen that shift the trajectory of the game. So I'm not disappointed at... That, that she got an advantage, but I wish that they were just more explicit about, well, 
I do think it could have been less of an advantage, but also they could have been more explicit about like, this is a game changing advantage that is going to give you a huge chance at winning the final immunity challenge Mm -hmm. or the second to last immunity challenge rather. Mm -hmm. I feel like to have an advantage where one leg is a little bit easier would be okay, but to have like three legs of a four leg challenge partially completed for you is just, it's insurmountable. And watching it, I was sort of like, why are we even running a challenge? Like it's, it's a foregone conclusion. Who's going to win. Right. You would really have to fuck up to lose that. I also think that like at, at the stage of final five, like when we're in the finale, I feel like the advantages and the twists need to just be gone. I feel like after, after final five, if we're watching a finale of survivor, it should be a pure game, uh, physicality and strategic prowess and you know may the best person win but we got what we got erica wins uh rather easily i mean ricard seemed to do pretty well at the puzzle but it didn't look very close in the end so erica is immune ricard is the obvious target here and we see him going around to make his case to everyone on the island to vote out Deshaun, capitalizing on the fact that Deshaun had sort of thrown Erica under the bus in the previous tribal council, revealing that she was willing to cut Heather ahead of the final three uh, and go with that chicken reward alliance, as they were calling them, of Deshaun, Erica, and Xander. So he's kind of doing everything he can, uh, and we see him go to what seems to be, as we learned, <laughs> Ricard's uh, closest ally in the game, uh, post-Shan. Uh, he goes to Xander and sort of like tugs on his heartstrings a little bit, revealing for the first time that he has a baby on the way, do any day now, and is kind of like, you know, Xander, you could sh- really shake things up and and put a, you know, a good item on your resume here if you were to play your idol for me at Tribal. And though they entertain the idea that Xander is considering it, it becomes vividly clear that it's not going to happen. And one thing worth noting is, and I think many people, not just Xander, would be perceptive enough to know that Yes, I understand fundamentally what Ricard is arguing, that this is something for your resume. I would say it's something bigger for Ricard to be able to argue that he convinced Xander to use Xander's own idol on him Mm -hmm. and sort of like uh, neglect his own safety in favor of helping Ricard. So I I would be curious to know if Xander understood that immediately in the moment. But as a viewer watching the show, I was like, what Ricard is bargaining with here is only to the advantage basically Ricard saying hey I'm a bigger threat for you in the game so I'd like you to take away your own safety and give it to me um, but I'm, I'm going to attempt to convince you that that's in your best interest so it was a great move by Ricard in that like he absolutely should have made that move but it also was not like a smart strategic move for Xander but yeah. also at the same time there's a world in which Xander was never ever like considering it and mm-hmm. just was himself entertaining Ricard. So uh, I would be, I kind of could use a little bit more um, confessionals in that moment to break down sort of like, because both of them c- could be like masterminding one another. And I wasn't sort of sure who had more control of that scenario. Yeah. That's something I would love to talk to Xander or Ricard about because, you know, it is a, it's a big moment. And I think, I think that at this point, Xander was kind of screwed no matter what he did. I don't think that Xander was really ever going to be in contention to win in any final three scenario. And if playing the idol for Ricard was going to ingratiate himself at all with the jury, I wonder if he would do it. But I don't know that that would even happen. Because that, yeah. as you say, I think the jury would applaud Ricard for that and not Xander. Right. So we go to tribal and, you know, it's a rare tribal where they make a choice here to not hide the fact uh, that Ricard is going home. Ricard reveals to the tribe and the jury that he has a lot going on with the upcoming arrival of his new son. And he talked about being proud of being a survivor great this season. And uh, it's like a kind of a hero send-off in the way that uh, Shan was given a send-off. 
there's some question of whether Xander is going to play the idol and ultimately he plays it for himself despite not being in any danger and receiving no votes this is like I, I guess when you put yourself in this situation you're like of course you're going to play the idol you have no, I mean you're not Xander's not watching the edited television show where it's clear that he's not getting votes it might have been a great opportunity for them all to vote out Xander had he not just been a goat this season uh, but ultimately, Ricard is sent to the jury. So we've got a final four. Yeah, I just wanted to mention real quick. I do think that it's with Ricard's sort of hero edit that you mentioned. I do think there was a little bit of the case of it feeling like a repeated beat in the sense of like the musical cue from the Shan episode. It felt a little bit. It reminds me of sort of like part of my concern around season 42 and this idea of like trying to do the same thing over again because, you know, as we've talked about, season 42 is happening in the same silo that season 41 happened in. And so with the Ricard beat, as much as I appreciated that hero edit and getting the opportunity to learn more about uh, Ricard and sort of uh, give him this send-off, because send-offs are so rare in the Survivor-verse and because we just got what I think was one of, like, the distinct first ones i mean maybe there are others i'm missing but i feel like that shan one was pretty landmark to see it happen with ricard felt a little bit like repeating history for Mm. me yeah and you know like this is something that i don't love when the edit and the music tells me how i should feel about the show exactly there was a lot of that this episode there was a lot and i uh i think there's something to be said for the fact that we have so many survivor legends and survivor history that went home based on the cookie cutter formulaic edited tribal council and sometimes you don't need to tell me we can see we know we know what's happening and the legends will be the legends uh but you know i i can kind of go either way on this to be honest with you uh like i really loved it in the shan episode here i thought it was a nice send-off for ricard in a vote that otherwise was so blatantly obvious that you know we might as well try something else I do think, though, this is one area to credit the show with regards to, like, the velocity of, like, the goings-on of the finale. Because if this were Drag Race, because, you know, I love making my Drag Race Survivor comparisons, the episode would have ended here. And so you would have left being like, oh, so we got a full episode with a very obvious vote out. Mm -hmm. So it's nice then that with the Ricard vote out and the inevitability of it all, we were able to just, like, push forward and sort of say, okay, that beat landed. Great. We gave Ricard his send-off. Moving on. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've got our final four, and we get a very belated backstory for Xander about being an awkward chubby kid who became an athletic beast. (laughs) I'm biting my tongue. Yeah, okay. So Xander wins the final four immunity challenge, which requires him to stack blocks of spelling out final three on, you know, one of those teetering platforms. It's a mix of balance and precision, neither of which Heather had in this challenge. And it seemed like a real shoe in for Xander, this one. Yeah, okay. So like one thing, I'm still biting my tongue, but like one small thing I'm going to say, and this is not Xander's fault, nor is this really the edit's fault, but this is something, I guess I'm just putting this out there, something I'm pondering. My sense is that like when you compare the story of like Danny, for instance, Mm -hmm. whose story will really stay with me this season, it seems like Xander didn't really have a story, which is fine, right? Like if that is your reality, if you have not overcome strife in your life, that is perfectly fine. And it does not invalidate the idea that you should win Survivor. But in a season in which we've been so hyper aware of backstories and sort of like the what it took to be here and and it's in many cases what was sacrificed in order to be here, Xander's felt a little incongruous and I felt almost bad for Xander in a sense of like <laughs> there clearly just wasn't a lot of story here. Um, and it's incredible that he was able to, you know, run these races. Um, And also, and this is, again, not Xander's fault, and I'm going to say this really briefly because I could tangent too much, but I still think this narrative that happens so often where, like, I was fat and I got thin, and that is, that's the, that's my story of, like, success, is does, does a disservice to fat people in so many ways and sort of making fat the before and thin the after. And I just think that that has a negative effect on our society, but that is a conversation for another day. Yeah, this felt very unnecessary to me. We had some really powerful backstories this season. Even, you know, thinking back to 
like I think it was in episode one or two, Tiffany's backstory yeah. about being a pre-viver and all of that. We had Nasir's backstory about being from Sri Lanka. We had uh, um, so many, but even even like Erica's, for example, that we got at the merge, that wasn't a story so much of strife or, or anything like that. I mean, she was just she just had sort of like a, a, a normal life for an immigrant to Canada and and talked about that. Xander's I mean, we, we could have had just a, a normal story from Xander. I don't I don't love this narrative of like I was chubby and now I run. Like, that's yeah. not a story worthy of airtime. <laughs> no, not at all. He has to have something else going on that they could have shown us. Anyways, so Xander has a decision to make, of course, because we still have a fire-making challenge in this show, which I will despise <laughs> to the very end. Uh, he has a decision to make of who he's going to take to the final three and who he's sending into fire-making. In one of the most bizarre decisions that he could make, he walks right up to Erica and says, Erica, I'm taking you to final three, which I don't know. I mean, in the final tribal, Erica is able to talk about how she managed her threat level very well. I don't know how they weren't seeing this. I don't know how Xander looked at the contestants that he was playing with and said, you know what? My best shot is against Erica in the final three. Yeah, it simply, it does not make any sense, especially considering at that stage of the game, it was just so clear, um, at least, I guess, I was going to say, I guess, clear from from our perspective, again, with the edit, um, that his best final three odds are up against Deshaun and Heather. Uh, So it was just so strange to, like, see him go with the person that he had the least chance of winning against to give, he has one person he can give safety to, and he gives it to her. That said, I do feel like there was a little bit of trouble, not trouble. I feel like there was, the edit was tricky sometimes in that I really don't feel like I had a sense of a lot of like where certain duos, not even stood in the game, but just like how they got along. So Erica and Xander is definitely one where by the final episode, I was very clear about Eric and Ricard. I was clear about Ricard and Deshaun. I was clear about Deshaun and Erica, but like that conglomeration, the Erica Xander was something I did not have clarity on. And so in my mind, I just was like, perhaps there's some connection or bond or, or maybe there's a final two that we were never told about. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, it felt like there was something what we, the viewers were missing because I don't think Xander is that opaque to like not see what we saw. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I really don't get it. There, I think the dynamic has to be different than the one that we see on TV, but I don't know that it's that different that Xander shouldn't have realized this. And I think the jury called him out for that too. They said, like, this is very clear to us. Right. So Xander tells Deshaun and Heather to start practicing fire and also says, you know, Erica, maybe just practice just in case. And then that's when we see that Erica struggles with fire and I think there was this perception that Xander had that Erica could make fire because she was on exile for two days at the merge. But that does not make a, a, a fire starter per se, it turns out. So then we see him sort of like, oh, maybe I, maybe I do send Erica to fire. Uh, but of course, that does not happen. And I just have to add, we've said this before, it will never, ever make sense to me that it's like day 37 in the standard game, or in this case, day whatever, and they're all of a sudden having the realization that there's going to be a fire making, and so with hours to spare, they start saying, I need to learn how to make a fire. It's 2021. You need to come into this game knowing how to make fire, and at the very least, when you arrive on that beach, and every day you have to make a fire, you need to be the one volunteering to help make the fire in an effort to learn. We know this is an inevitability about this show, it's just so strange to me. Like you have these confessionals like Deshaun and he's just like, I can't make fire. And it's like, welcome to Survivor. Like, I, I don't understand what what about the prereq- prerequisite of this game was not made clear to you. It's just so strange to watch everyone in the 11th hour every season do this same. I was going to say charade, but it's not a charade. Everyone's legit learning how to make fire. I don't get it. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I feel like there is some aspect of it that you want to 
hide from others that you can make fire. And then by hiding that you can make fire, you're not practicing fire over the course of these 25 days as they are now. And that's got to hurt your chances a little bit. So the, like there is a an aspect of managing the threat level of your fire making abilities. But I mean, you should be making fire. You've lived outside for all, all this time. You should know how to make fire. Yeah. Hardest season ever. Hardest season. So Xander sends Deshaun and Heather to a fire making challenge at Tribal Council. Deshaun gets a good fire going, but then suffocates it with a whole bunch of tiny little sticks. And then Heather manages to pull ahead and has a good flame going and is burning that rope for longer than I've ever seen in a fire making challenge. I don't know what her rope was made out of, but I'm not sure that it was rope. Rigged. (laughs) Rigged. Heather was pushed. Deshaun gets his fire back and ultimately wins, sending Heather to the jury and giving us our final three of Deshaun, Xander, and Erica, the Chicken Reward Alliance. Okay, first of all, everyone's like reactions to the fire making within the game was a little much for me. I was just like, y'all need to like calm down. And then afterwards they were like, best fire making ever. And I'm just like, okay. Like everyone was just really invested in this like twist of the game, which both you and I detest. And then seeing them get like so excited about it. It's like, it's, this is, this is, that's how fire making works, right? It's like someone's going to win. And so, and that's the thing about fire is sometimes it goes down when you think it's burning. <laughs> so like them acting like this was like this crazy twist. Like, yes, it was surprising that Heather's fire, as you mentioned, it seemed like the rope was burning and it wasn't, but Deshaun coming back at the end, like that's not, that's the whole reason why they do a fire making because the fire can go up in a second and, and all the same. Okay, but can we touch really briefly, because I feel like we could derail very easily, but about the Heather edit from Mm. Jeff. Because there's a conversation about the Heather edit from the editors, but there's also Jeff, who, and I I do want to do something like longer on this at some point, but I do just think Jeff's behavior towards Heather reached the absolute most nauseating it has been all season with regards. We've, we've spoken about the patronizing aspect to it, but the framework of him needing to constantly underline the fact that she is a mother, the fact that she is an older woman, I found so diminutive. It was so strange. The fact that like Jeff couldn't see that she was just doing this maybe for herself. It had to be for other older women out there or Mm -hmm. other mothers. And I just felt like that was an instance of Jeff really showing, I don't mean to be, this is harsh, but like how little he's learned or, or sort of like the lesson he's learned is not the lesson that he necessarily like needs to be focused on or something. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like the treatment of Heather, especially to the, towards the tail end, because she was getting more attention, the treatment of her in the challenges and then also just the discussions that they were having about her, I thought were like kind of cringy. Yeah, I agree. And I think it was it was strange to then like sort of on her exit give this story about almost drowning and not wanting to be in water. And it's like, where was all this before? Yeah. Why didn't we get this in a challenge? Or why didn't we get this? If you're going to underdevelop Heather don't try to develop her in the last moment just so that we care about her elimination. And that would have been a really important detail to get early on that they could have gotten out of her in a confessional. Like that's the kind of thing it's like, that is important information to know and would have informed our perspective on Heather and watching her jump off these giant things into this, into like, you know, the ocean that's no doubt has to be really scary. And seeing that we got, we, that's the kind of thing. First of all, we've heard similar stories. Uh, we have Philip Shepard, for instance, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In his seasons, who we then are watching him in these challenges. And, and in that instance, he was unable to do the challenge as a result. We need that information, you know? And so to get it at the end there, it felt very shoehorned, felt very unnecessary. But I just hope that more people besides us have a conversation about the treatment of someone like Heather. And even sort of like, again, at the after show, when Evie was attempting to to talk about um, the fact that there are both the, some of the youngest players ever, and then like Evie sort of stumbling around how to talk about the fact that Tiffany and Heather are older. But it's like constantly sort of like, this framing of being in your 50s on Survivor as being old when Rudy in season one was like, 
actually old. I feel mm-hmm. like we sort of need to talk about the fact that like a 52 year old woman is like very capable and sort of like the babying of the 52 year old woman on this show is like not helping the cause here. And I don't know. I, I yeah, I don't, I don't want to get to like, there's tangent city to be had in this episode, but I just think that like, he- I was going to say Heather's a complex character. I don't know if she's a complex character, but I know that the way the show mishandled Heather is worth talking about some actually I don't know if that's that's fair to say I don't know if they mishandled her maybe I want to say I just think the Jeff x Heather conversation is something I want to put a bookmark in yeah I think there's a lot to talk about there and I think there's a lot that we don't yet know about what happened with Heather on that island that we've been getting sort of like hints of in the exit press hopefully now that the season is wrapped People will be more free to talk about what happened there because I think there's a story. There's a story that we don't know and whether or not that's informing the weird edit she got, one of the weirdest edits I think of all time. Weird. Uh, weirder than Purple Kelly because we knew, we, we saw clearly why they did that to Purple Kelly and it was because of the way that she quit. This we don't understand. And then to try to give her hero moments sometimes and ignore that she's even on the show at other times is just confusing. It's inconsistent. And then Jeff's like, Jeff's constant need to mention the fact that she was in last place during the challenge, but then follow it up with, but that's the thing about Heather, she never quits. And it's like, but Jeff, maybe don't say anything at all. Like maybe the effort to uplift her in that moment, which I think was his intention, it it really backfired. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, could, I could talk about this for days. Mm-hmm. Okay, shall we skip ahead to final tribal? Yes, please. So the final three face the jury. Again, we have Deshaun, Xander, and Erica facing the jury here. Danny talks about breaking down the game into segments, or, or I mean, he talks about breaking it down into quarters, but then just gives three segments. <laughs> <laughs> the pre merge. The merge. I didn't think about that. How funny. And the final eight. The final eight being sort of like an arbitrary division was, to me. Although it's just like, is that night. just the post Shan game in this season, which does happen to be distinct? I don't know. It was a weird division all around. Yeah, it was definitely weird. Well, can I can I back up just one second to say this was the first tribal, I believe, correct me if you know differently, Sean, uh, but where we didn't do the sort of like outwit, outplay, outlast, uh, sort of like division of conversation. And I actually do think I'm, not that I think that that is so important, but I did feel like this felt a little bit disorganized um, in the sense of like, what aspects of the game we were talking about and who was talking. And so I did sort of miss some form of like, sort of like siphoning off what aspect of the game we're talking about and having each of them speak to it. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like we like would have segments where we were like, you know, talking about like Xander's social game. But then I was like, well, wait a minute, let's also talk Heather's social game. But then we would move on to something completely different. Not Heather, yeah. sorry, uh, to Deshaun or Erica's. I yeah. would love to talk about Heather's social game. <laughs> this is one of the things that I really hate about this format of Final Tribal is that you don't get into as many specifics as they used to get into because each person used to stand up and ask a specific question. Sometimes they were very broad. In fact, most of the time they were broad, but you would get people saying, when so-and-so was voted out, what did you know? When did you know it? And why did you make the decision that you made? And that's that's the opportunity that the final three have to really go into detail on their resume instead of sort of like giving these generalizations about the relationships they built and throwing people's names out. I want to hear about the specific moves and each vote out. What was your role and why does it deserve a million dollars? But this framework of sort of like breaking down pre-merge, merge, and final eight is sort of the, the framework by which the rest of the conversation happens here. Xander talks about how he used his idol to make his way to the end and developed this alliance with Ricard with the intention of using him as a shield. That's sort of the story of Xander at this final tribal. Deshaun talks about building strong relationships throughout the game, calling himself the glue that held people together. And this is maybe where his final three (laughs) game falls apart. Well, I feel like it fell apart sooner. I feel like Deshaun, there was a despondency about Sean throughout this episode. And I would be really, really curious to talk with him more about this. But I just think something shifted in him um, 
I feel like, I mean, obviously around the Shan vote, but I, I think also with the Liana vote in realizing that, because with Shan, they could have moved forward a solid three. And I think once Liana was gone, and I think he sort of realized that they were in the minority um, within, and that he didn't really have a, a mechanism with which to maneuver through. I just think something happened where he just was like done playing the game and like done strategizing. And we got several instances of that with just seeing sort of like when he approached Erica, it was kind of like, you're gonna do what you're gonna do. It really wasn't fighting. But so I thought that as exciting of a final three as this was, because having Heather out made for a much more exciting final three in on the surface, believing that all three of them had a chance. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt like Deshaun, th th his, his attitude, he was so deflated going into this final tribal that what ended up playing out became quite inevitable. I went into this tribal really with the belief that it was anyone's game. And now knowing what we know and seeing the vote turn out, I'm kind of like, and seeing their performance in final tribal, I'm like, it's so obvious, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like he just didn't come in there with any strong argument about his game. And it also feels like his alliance uh, with Danny and Liana and Shan ended up being at the cost of him forming strong bonds with others, right? Because there's a world in which you have an alliance, but still have strong bonds with people that you're not necessarily in the game with. And it felt like Deshaun did not form strong bonds outside of his core group. I also think he just lacked an ability to really own his game in a big yeah. way because I mean he's the last man standing from the Black Alliance he should have their votes stitched up like he should have them and I think he would if he was able to talk about it in in the way of saying like look I had to turn on Shan for such and such a reason that got me to this place I dropped the truth bomb on Erica people saw it as messy but guess what it revealed something to Heather Heather didn't talk to Erica all day the day after you know like there's a way to frame everything that you did so that the jury can see that it was uh, it was smart and whether or not it was smart in every circumstance it got you to the final three Instead, Deshaun falls into the Amanda trap of apologizing for his game because he kind of gets attacked here a little bit by Ricard saying that, you know, you, your, your story that you're telling here is about being the glue that held relationships together. But why at the merge then did you pull everyone aside and throw all of your allies under the bus? Uh, and then Shan sort of like really puts the nail in Deshaun's coffin here when she criticizes God, Deshaun him for, and these dead metaphors. Just yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Just, no, right I'm just kidding. The do no, or I'm die. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's just um, But she talks about him betraying her and the Black Alliance, and she says that uh, she asks him whether he was capitalizing on a social movement to get further in the game. And, uh, you know, he sort of has to, like, really reflect on that in a way that the jury is going to respect. But I think that I think that there was an answer you could give there, right? I'm not sure that the answer he gave was the one that is going to win jury votes. And I mean, clearly it didn't. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I feel, it, I, I understand sort of the difficult position he was put in there because I do think that question blindsided him in the sense that I think he clearly was aware that things weren't great between him and Shan, but it was almost as though like Shan said the thing that he didn't expect her to say. Like, I, I'm sure he expected a private conversation mm. uh, with Shan about that very question, but the fact that she brought, it's like she brought it into the game, which in her argument would be like, she's bringing it into the game because it was a part of the game. But I, my sense was that, Deshaun saw saw that as very other than the mm. game and sort of was forced to bring the conversation into the game. And also I would say, how old is Deshaun? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't. He, But he's in his 20s, right? I think so, yeah. I remember like, I feel like Deshaun aged down in this show. And I feel like when I when we first met Deshaun, I felt like he seemed like this like really mature, older guy. And I feel like there was something about, he called Shan his sister, but I really got a mother-son dynamic from them. And I feel like him meeting Shan, he sort of just became more and more infantilized. Whether that might just be in my mind, right? Um, but I feel like, and then having mom go, I feel like it was suddenly like the child was on their own. 
I just mm. feel like Shan really did a number on Deshaun's game in ways I'm not even sure he was conscious of then or perhaps now. I, again, I, I haven't heard his exit press yet. Um, but I'm curious to know like whether or not he feels as though like Shan and, and I don't even think this was Shan's intention, but if Shan's gameplay or even, I don't know. I just, if Shan got into his head in a way and he was mm-hmm. unable to recover from that, that was my sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deshaun is 26. I just looked it up. Okay. Yeah. He's really young. <laughs> yeah, he is. And I think also, I had, though, a, sorry. I had yeah. a similar sort of like thought. Yeah. I, I think I thought of Deshaun as much older in the beginning of the game. Almost like be, I think because he was so friendly with Danny and I think Danny's older and I sort of saw them as like a pair that would connect, you know, outside of the game. And, and I'm sure that they do. And it's not to say you can't have friends who are younger than you, but that's sort of like put them on the same level age wise for me. Right. And then so wait, and then um, just while, while we're talking about age real quick. So Liana and Xander are 22, correct? Am I I'm sorry? I'm like putting you on the spot here with these numbers. Uh, I don't mean to. They're, 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 yeah, I think that Xander's 20, 21. No. OK, but like we've had contestants this young. Also, wasn't Spencer from Tokachin's like 19 or 20? Yeah. Like my, my point is, again, with this like rewriting of history, we've had really young players on this show always. And I don't think that like. Yes, I understand. If you're a 19-year-old, if you're a Xander and you meet someone like a Heather, like, yes, you're not necessarily, like, have a million things to relate to. But I just don't think that, like, age, when it comes to being young in this game, really is, like, that detrimental unless you, like, really act your age. But, like, I I guess the the conversations around age are strange to me in Mm -hmm. that, like... um, We've had really young, really smart people, or even like if you look at Jenna Marasco, for instance, who I believe is still the youngest winner of all time. Look at me, like I'm literally gonna like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 she's up there. She was 21, I think, when she won, and so little regard was given at the time around her age. Like that was not a big part of her argument at Tribal, and it was just not something that was ever sort of like brought in strategically and it's interesting now hearing these conversations and also the idea that like comparing being old in the game to being the same sort of like um potential uh, uh you know achilles heel as being young and it's like i i see being young as being an advantage but what do i know yeah let's talk about erica's tribal performance because I thought she gave a really really strong final tribal performance I think I think walking into it she already had the votes to win but I think she really sealed the deal with the way that she talked about the game because I just think that Xander and Deshaun didn't necessarily express themselves in the best way definitely were caught off guard by questions but Erica really managed to tell her story which so many people kind of like struggle to do in a final tribal. I think they sort of lose sight of the big picture and telling a cohesive narrative of their time in the game. But I think Erica really managed to do that. She talked about her relationship with Heather, her decision to turn back time at the merge, which of course is the only reason she's here, and then build new relationships post-merge. And she really wore the under the radar game on her sleeve. And she says that Shan was the only one who recognized it. And that's when she was able to get on board with Shan going home. And so that was a key moment in her game. Erica says that it's wild that everyone knew that she and Heather were a pair and that no one ever tried to break them up until Deshaun's truth bomb. So, Which is such a great point. Yeah, it's a really, really good point. I mean, the fact that she was able to manage her threat level throughout the game with a partner in the game. I mean, look at all of the attention that Ricard and Shan had on them. And meanwhile, you've got this other pair just sort of like coasting to the end. And honestly, I respect that kind of a game. I know that people don't love it. I'm sure that Reddit is up in arms today about Erica's win. I'm up in arms about Erica's edit, but that's a different story. Exactly. Well, no, it's not a different story. So I want to read a a tweet. This is from at Ashes Dreamboard. Um, And the tweet reads, Erica's win is historic and so deserved, but her being so under-edited is troubling. It's great Survivor is trying to be more inclusive, but under-editing a Filipino woman winner while not establishing the young white guy is a goat shows they still have a long way to go. 
And why I think that tweet is so interesting is, well, for the obvious reasons, but also in sort of highlighting the fact that, like, Xander as a goat was never something that was presented to us on the show. It really actually felt like, at least for me, that Xander had a real shot at winning going mm-hmm. into tonight, right? But Xander got no votes. Not only that, like, he seemed to lack any respect from the jury. And the fact that that was never presented at all during the edit, in fact, quite the contrary, right? There were several times, for instance, them showcasing Shan's elimination. They gave um, they gave Xander that confessional in which Xander felt like he architected Shan's exit, mm-hmm. um, even though we all know that wasn't the case at all. Mm-hmm. But they didn't paint that in a way that was like, there could have been a Shambo edit for Xander that was like, you know, playing that dumb music under him all along and like him thinking he's the mastermind, but not. But I actually felt like the show, the edit rather, was very deferential to Xander throughout the season. And so in addition to Erica being under-edited, I felt like Xander was given this sort of like a much more heroic edit than he deserved considering his gameplay. And so I find both of those things troubling, especially in contrasting a show like uh, Big Brother, who can't do a winner edit. They don't know who the winner is mm-hmm. until that live finale. Survivor has months and months and months to pour over this, right? They know the historic nature of this win, mm-hmm. and they know in the case of Erica that they have a really compelling character who gives great confessionals, who 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 is going to be, I would imagine they understood her, that she understood that she was going to be well-liked by the audience so to under edit her particularly in this first half of the season it's kind of strange yeah i do have to say that you know post merge erica has a pretty decent edit actually and i remember talking week to week post merge that okay we're starting to see erica we're starting to see erica but the fact that she was completely invisible except for her trying to get sydney out in the pre-merge uh is just like I think unforgivable and I understand that Luvu didn't go to tribal council at all until the merge I understand that that means we're going to get less screen time from them but if we didn't have to focus you know 75% of episode 3 on reading pieces of paper at various beaches maybe we could have gotten an Erica confessional I also think that this is an argument as to why the three try breakdown doesn't work. I think the three try breakdown works in an all-star season. Um, like for instance, thinking about all-stars where I was like, that was the first instance of a three try breakdown. And it was really exciting to see sort of like which pairs of six were together. Um, and also just like, being able to see two tribes being safe like felt good because you're on an all-star season and chances are you want people to stay. Um, and so it's nice to know that like 12 people um, ha- are not going anywhere. But in a situation like this, and because you, as you, as you said, because you have a situation in which Erica's not going to tribal and because you have three tribe dynamics you're trying to frame every week, I actually think it was to the detriment of the edit and rather had they just gone nine, nine, even if nothing else, there just would have been more of Erica on screen, even like in the background uh, while two other people are playing, you know, she's tending to the fire or whatnot. I just think the lack of screen time, um, while I understand it, I do think that that's an argument against uh, having this three-try breakdown because, yeah, we just didn't have the opportunity to see her. Also, not not only that, Jeff didn't really have the opportunity to meet her. I think part of the reason why he made such a big deal about her smiling when she walked into Tribal, which, again... We could get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will in our Jeff episode <laughs> that I, I can't wait for us to do. But part of the reason I think he made such a big deal about that was because he just didn't really have the opportunity to get to know Erica until the back half of the game. And so that was his way of like establishing some sign, some kind of rapport with her. Yeah. Well, he did have those two days he spent on exile with her. Mm, yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, he yeah. didn't spend two days. <laughs> that was a bonding moment for, without question. Yeah. Driving on his yacht. Yeah. The other thing is... Uh, you know, the relationship between Heather and Erica is key to the end game of this show. And we didn't even know that they were aligned until after the merge. And I, I know we, they didn't go to tribal. Maybe it's hard to cement that they are an alliance. But as you say, they know in retrospect, editing this show, that that is a relationship. Show them interacting on Luvu Beach. Right. The other what thing do they have I, in common? Why are they friends? Well, that's my question too. It's like how much of the relationship, especially like early on in the game, was like 
game talk versus like life talk. And both would have been important to see, but I'm curious like about that bond because, you know, thinking about another like uh, famous duo on the show, Fishback and JT in Token Sheens, it seems like their bond was born out of like the game and grew into sort of being like uh, this sort of like complete opposites come together and come to really respect one another. I am still curious if they like, like did they have like a life connection? Was there something that they were bonding about? Because if so, we were given nothing other than the fact that they, you know, the, those like, I love you. I love you too. Um, okay. But like, what do you love about like, yeah, Erica, please tell me what do you love about Heather? And it might in fact inform us, the viewer about how we ought to feel about Heather. If we understood because you're such a reliable narrator. So tell us, what is it you miss winner? What is it you see? I don't mean that in a dominion. Miss winner. Uh, <laughs> no, but tell us like, it's like you are real. You masterminded this game credit to you. So what is it that you saw in Heather? Like, I mean, I would be really curious to know. God, Ms. Winner is so condescending. I didn't mean it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ms. <laughs> Winner. Ms. Winner. Um, okay. So do we have anything more to say here? Uh, Xander sort of crashes and burns. Ricard becomes a cheerleader for Erica. Liana asks Xander if he has an idol, which was a cute way to end. <laughs> It was a little planned for me. Little much. <laughs> um, the only other thing I would say was that it just definitely seemed like they didn't really know. Like I was sitting there the whole time waiting for Shan to speak because I was like, you know, you have the biggest player of the season finally getting to, you know, re-enter the game, if you will, in this moment. And I don't know if, if the blame is on Shan or the editor or not, but there felt like a fumbling of the ball and sort of like giving Shan a big moment outside of just sort of like that moment with Deshaun. But it's like, I wanted more attention on Shan and how much mm -hmm. Shan's moves in this game dictated this final three. And I think this is because of this sort of like pass the popcorn format. I was really craving that moment. And I thought we might get it because, you know, they were doing so much of this drop the four, keep the one. I thought we were going to go back to the individual speeches of Final Tribal, I think that would have been a great sort of yeah. like bookend to like the recognition of, you know, we're reading the votes at Tribal, it hasn't happened since Borneo. Um, I really wanted Shan to have like a bigger moment in which she was able to like directly speak to each of the three of them. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. And the other thing that I was curious about that didn't get brought up at all is like, you know, we had all this talk about this, this final, um, final four with this black Alliance. But like, I am curious if there was conversations about sort of like the recognition of, you know, we talked a little bit about not having a female winner, but the lack of Asian winners on this show. And that didn't get, really brought up as a discussion outside of Erica sharing her backstory. And I think there were several mentions of Erica talking about being a Filipino woman, but like, I wondered at all if there was any sense of the cast understanding the historic moment that they would be giving all of us in, in, in helping Erica to win. I feel like that was a conversation. I, I don't know if it happened, but I thought could have been important. And uh, especially because of how much, you know, we were centering this idea of black players in the game, but like also um, I feel like that was a discussion that was, I don't want to say was needed, but would have helped sort of contextualize like it, it, it's such a historic victory. And yeah. I felt like I'm not sure if they gave it the correct context within the game itself. Yeah. They absolutely. being the editors. Absolutely. And I have to take this opportunity to issue ah, yes. my formal apology our, to Natalie our. Anderson uh, because we talked last week on our recap about how uh, Erica would be the first Asian woman to win this game. That is not true. Of course, that was Natalie Anderson. I uh, hate myself for forgetting her historic win. And, you know, Evan, you've got one episode left of Winners at War. <laughs> you've got some I good do. Natalie moments coming. I do. May have spoiled some of them here today. Okay, so we don't have a bitter jury after all. I really thought we were going to have one because we were seeing all of these like sort of faces being made, a lot of chit-chatting. Tiffany told me last night that Jeff Probst told her to shut the fuck up several times, threatened to kick the jury out. Uh, I want to hear more of those stories. But uh, it felt like we were we might have a bitter jury this year, and we did not. I think they were pretty fair. So the jury votes. Jeff gets the votes. He announces the winner. 
for the first time since season one. As we've said, it's a seven to one to zero vote for Erica. And Jeff declares, as he's reading that out, our first Canadian winner. And I have to respect that. I respect that, but it's like, if we're going to be doing sort of like the, if we're, it, it sort of was like one of those things where like, yes, she's the first Canadian winner and what else, right? Like yeah. she's, so yeah. Also, I just want to point out, it was odd to me that they couldn't acknowledge COVID here, right? Like we sort of had the COVID reference in, in the premiere episode and sort of talking about, you know, why the season was delayed and whatnot. And it's like, let's talk about the fact of why we're reading it reading the votes here sure yeah. yes maybe we're, we're throwing it back to season one and that's historic and great and, and i love that but let's sort of like acknowledge the fact of like this is not the opportune way to do this we love doing the live studio audience we love what that gives us it gives these players this opportunity to sit on their game for several months and we're not able to do that and i felt like this sort of is one of the show's biggest weaknesses this season which seemed like from from the premiere episode when we got sort of like those shots of the crew and everything, it was like, oh, the show's really going to like meta fies itself or whatever. It's like it's going to acknowledge both COVID and the game more. And that actually didn't really pan out in the end. Um, for instance, like Jeff didn't talk to the camera at all this episode. And I felt like the show's sort of like lack of lifting the curtain on itself, especially when we got sort of told that that was going to happen really backfired in a way it was like just tell us why we're why aren't we doing a reunion like let's talk about it if especially if we're like trying to do this sort of like uh we're gonna reshift the cameras and blah 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 which is fine if we're going to do that it like go full tilt and it mm -hmm. felt like the show just like didn't quite know the degree to which it wanted to recognize the outside world. It did when it was convenient in the case of like talking about the black Alliance and sort of like those conversations in tribal. But then when it came to like the vote read, it was like, we're just, we're switching things up. We're going back to basics. Yeah. Uh, I did. I do have to say, we're not going to talk a whole lot about the after show, but I did really love that live set change. I thought that that was great. It was like, I guess that that was kind of, Jeff's final breaking of the fourth wall moment uh, in a way. And I loved seeing all the crew come in. I mean, it was messy. It was it was like perfect. It was a beautiful disaster, as Kelly Clarkson would say. Mm, um, I yeah, loved seeing like all the set pieces come in, the crew coming in. But then like then when they started pouring champagne and then people ran out of champagne and they had to refill it. And Jeff wanted a piece of pizza, even though some of them were starving. Like and he has a show to host. I I, I loved that. I thought it there's was like this, really fun. There's this great transition um, in Wicked, um, uh, where you know you have all these fabulous set changes, but it's like uh, uh, Alphaba says it couldn't happen. She sings it couldn't happen here in Oz, and then it shifts from the classroom into like the dancing through life set. It's just this like giant scene change. I don't and think you need to me, explain that to our audience. Fair enough. This scene was like the like the the polar opposite in that it was like he's like we need to reset and the camera goes wide and then all you see is like several crew members come in and like a bench has to move and then I don't know if you saw but like they had like those green blue and red like not strobe lights but they had like these lights um, that they were like trying to kind of like make it seem like a club almost for a second and it just was like you felt this effort on their part to like make things seem really chaotic but it's like there's not really chaos. And also you could tell in Erica's reaction that she just was genuinely sort of like baffled by what she was supposed to do and how, how she was supposed to feel about it mm -hmm. because there were a lot of emotions going through everyone's head clearly. And then she was like, sort of like forced into this reunion moment. Also, why couldn't they do the giant check? They couldn't have a check ready. He was like, I'm good for it. And it's like, okay, but like, where's the check? Well, Erica probably just had a carry on bag. Do we have anything more to say about the after show? No, I just, I, I I guess the only other thing I would want to say about it would be I don't understand why we couldn't do a live reunion. Um, I understand that there's a world in which they could have filmed this one as they did and scrapped it in favor of a live reunion. We could have just never seen this. It's like we're at a place right now where it is totally possible to get this cast back together with a live audience safely. It's just strange to me because I think there's a lot of value, particularly in this season and how certain things were received. For instance, there is more discussion to be had about Shan's tribal and Liana's tribal and the discussions that both of those tribals brought about. There's larger conversations about the gender bias on this show and sort of like how it has attempted to address it. Um, 
the the uh, 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 come on in you guys, which I thought could have used a beat in mm-hmm. the reunion to talk about how the audience received it and how former mm-hmm. players received it. I thought there was a lot of value in a reunion and then sort of a lack of understanding as to why we couldn't have had a reunion or even like why they couldn't cobble together, even if they had to do it over Zoom. I just think what's missing from this season is the players understanding or or the player's perspective on the edit, the player's perspective on the audience reaction to the season. Um, I just feel like there's so much more I want to know from so many of these players, particularly players like Shan that we're never going to get from this season. And I think that's a shame. And I think also like they didn't know some of the standout moments from the show to address in this after show because they hadn't had the opportunity to see how they were received. So I think I had the same complaint at the beginning where I was like, I don't understand why we're doing a shortened season given like where we're at in the COVID of it all. And like, we're in an even, I was going to say a better place. I don't know if we're in a better place. We're in a, we're in a place right now where you could safely at the very least, you could safely reunite this cast. And it just feels odd to not do that. Yeah. I, I do have to say I'm sort of of two minds here because I think that I like that the conversations had to take place without the ability to sort of have like revisionist history on the season. Uh, I think so often in reunions, you get people kind of like telling the story in a way that they think the audience is going to be happy with it. I also think like the reunions as of late have been kind of worthless because they talk to like two people and then they have people on to promote their other CBS shows. Uh, So that's that's a different story. So I kind of liked that there was like time dedicated to talk about the game. I have to say that Jeff did a pretty good job of understanding what the narrative beats of the season were going to be before the show was ever edited. Uh, I wonder how much the after show informed the editing of the show. Um, But, you know, we did miss the opportunity to talk about, for example, the come on in. Um, I think that that was one of the big headlines of this season. And we didn't really get to discuss the fan reaction to it, which was so toxic and how that informed like the players, particularly Ricard and Evie's sort of experience. Um, dealing with the fans through that uh, it would have been nice but yeah I they could have done pre-recorded interviews as like bumper segments they could have done they could have done a lot of things um but oh, yeah I was also gonna say I think it's really important that they talk about this diversity mandate at CBS and the impact that it mm-hmm. had on them and for instance there are people online that I unfortunately have been seeing because I'm now tagged in it because I wrote a story sort of about the racial bias on this show and I'm seeing people online talk about the fact that like Survivor is trying to ice out white winners um, and obviously we know that's not true but it's like let's talk about that and let's talk about the fact that like there are fans out there that are going to see this as like reverse racism and we know reverse racism doesn't exist we know that you and i but it's like let's talk about that let's talk about those fans who who and let's give the poc players an opportunity to speak to that i just felt like this is a major shift in this series uh and in in cbs overall and is this going to have a larger impact on reality television and you know i i, I keep i'm so stuck on something that liana so point poignantly said in her speech about you know blackness is not a monolith well let's let's open that uh, discussion up some more you know and i just thought there was there's so many important conversations that began this season and i felt like they weren't able to sort of um give them the platform that they need um but yeah i think uh, to your point i think jeff did a, a pretty good job on the whole um but i still do think that there is a discussion about Jeff this season because there were several moments during this finale uh, where I uttered the phrase lock him up Um, and it just (laughs) rolled off the tongue just because I felt like he was just chaotic Um, so yeah one other thing too uh, I just want to point out in our preview for 42 I do think that we sort of uh, with the lack of themed seasons moving forward, it became especially sort of apparent at a sort of, I don't know if you want to call it directionlessness about 42 because there was nothing new to offer in giving us a preview for 42 because it's just the same old footage you've seen a hundred times with new faces inserted into it because there's no theme at all. It's just, we're doing it all over again. There's no location change. There's no theme. So it's like, what are we really previewing here? Especially where as Jeff T 
see is we're going to be using a lot of the same twists in 42 that we used in 41. Also, for those those of us listening, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of the fact that they and they they said this in the episode. They're filming back to back as they do. They film Survivor seasons in pairs, so there's no opportunity for any feedback to to be received at all. That will all take place in season 43. So it's kind of like, what are we doing with 42? Like, what's the what's the plan here? Are we literally just, is it is it season 41 part two? Because that's the impression I got from the footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I like seeing the preview, but it's not telling us much. It's, I totally agree. I mean, I can't really add anything more to that. The logo for 42 has, <laughs> the, I don't know what's going on with the graphic design department at Survivor, but it's not a great logo. Um, but it's got a big maze on it. I don't know for if that means anything. Um, I do love that big maze challenge, but surely they're not uh, basing the logo on one challenge. So we will see what 42 has in store for us. I'm looking forward to it. We'll be podcasting about it. I have some voice memos from the finale, but we are not going to play them. I'm going to hold them for our mailbag episode because we have more to talk about the finale. But we have to wrap this up because we do have an exciting announcement that we are interviewing Ricard today. That episode will drop next week. And we got a lot of work to do to prep for that. So yeah. we're going to be talking more 41 today. You're going to get more 41 content next week with King Ricard. Shout out to Nasir's wife. Yes. Hi, Nasir's wife. Okay, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can drop me a voice memo or a DM on Instagram at soda.pop. Make sure that you're following this podcast so that you don't miss our upcoming interviews. We've got a really stellar lineup, uh, not just Ricard, but into January that we're super excited about. So subscribe, rate, review, etc. And I'm really excited for like those of you to hear, I think like our original plan for Dro- Drop Your Buffs got a little usurped by mm-hmm. season 41, not in a bad way, um, but I'm excited for those of us that found us through season 41. I hope that you'll stick with us and sort of see some of the exciting things that we have to offer outside of just our interviews. We do other sort of like deep dives um, that we've done a few of them, but we hope to get into even more of them. And yeah, I think uh, I just want to underline, me and my like, I say underlining a lot um but thank you all so much for like listening to us throughout season 41 we did not plan to do recapping us i think we were like distinctly anti-recap i think in our trailer or something i was literally like this is not a recap podcast yeah this is totally (laughs) a recap podcast but we've had a good time it's a different muscle to flex for both of us um i i mean i don't think either of us are used to like getting on a microphone the morning after something and talking about it for an hour but i appreciate all of you any morning yeah i appreciate you all bearing with us obviously we've said how much we love the voice memos but it's been fun to sort of like talk about a survivor season in real time which is something i don't like doing but i like this sort of like exercise in it but i'm excited Mm -hmm. to have a few months off from it but i'm glad we did it and we'll certainly be back for 42 Yes, yes. Thank you. And we've seen our listeners and our interaction grow so much over this season. And I'm so grateful for that. And stick with us because we are going to talk survivor history, my favorite, very favorite subject to talk about, uh, as well as having iconic, legendary former players on the show. I cannot wait to talk to them. And I can't wait for you to hear them. Thank you again so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.